Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to start my message today. Um, before I begin my message, I just want to... I just want to thank and honor the uh, praise team. Aren't they doing a great job with our female drummer, Judy? The praise team, they just, uh, you know, they come up here and they lead worship for us 20, 30 minutes a week. But what you don't know is it requires them to come out like five, six hours a week with commuting and uh, two, three hours of uh, practice for them to do this every single week. You know, and so they put in a lot of hours to lead worship for us each week. So let's really just honor them and bless them one more time. Come on. Come on, y'all. All right. Worship is much better when you have a live band up here. I mean, you know, imagine if uh, we just turned on a CD and we're like, everybody worship now. Okay. Funny thing is, when I went to the, the rural areas of Korea, that's exactly how they worship. Because they don't have musicians out there. And so some churches, they, they turn on this like norebang sounding MIDI player. And then ding, ding, and then they sing the hymns along with this like tape recording. But anyway, we were blessed to have live musicians. Amen? Yeah. yeah. And also, I just want to um, also take a moment to thank and honor... Uh, the admins that we have here at the Itaewon campus, uh, they actually don't just serve the Itaewon campus. They serve both campuses. Uh, they oversee a lot of administrative work for the church. And because I'm administratively gifted, <coughs> excuse me, I'm administratively gifted, you know, I do have a high demand on administrative organization and structure here at the church. And I don't think you guys really understand what really goes on to keep the church organized. Uh, but, you know, I give them the directions and then they input their own ideas and they execute and do an amazing job. So I just want to honor uh, Cassandra and Eunice for all the hard work that they do. Cassandra's all the way in the back there. Cassandra's got blonde hair and Eunice has Korean hair. Yeah, but, you know, they do so much to uh, that are unseen things. Uh, that really creates that environment of safety and freedom that we enjoy here. So, you know, be sure to thank them when you see them. Uh, Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. Look with me here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, reading from the ESV, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Everybody say, in all that he does, he prospers. The Bible says here that when you meditate upon his word day and night, and when you walk, not in the counsel of the wicked, but in the way of the Lord, then you are like a tree. And not just any tree, but a tree that is planted by streams of water. A tree that 
whose leaf does not wither. You know, most trees, when they go through the autumn and winter, their leaves wither and then it falls on the ground and then children go and play around. You know, and Koreans call that tampung nori. Man, this is a less Korean crowd than a hillside. <laughs> you guys are like, what? Anyway, that's where like kids run, run around in autumn leaves, you know. There's a good jazz standard called Autumn Leaves. Great song, by the way. Um, but most trees, their leaves wither and it falls off. But this tree does not, the, the, the leaf does not wither and it bears its fruit in a season. In all that he does, he prospers. That is the picture of a man of God, a woman of God that meditates upon the word of God and walks in the ways of the Lord. In all that he does, it prospers. Now the word prosper here in the Hebrew means salach. Everyone say salach. Salach means to advance, prosper, make progress, succeed, be, prof- uh, be profitable. In short, it means to prosper. And oftentimes, that's the best translation for that word. Uh, that, that verb is to prosper or to make succeed, to cause to succeed. Now, a lot of people in the evangelical world, today, they, a lot of them, they think that prosperity is a swear word. And if you have this issue, I don't blame you, because I used to be there myself. Okay? And I'm not saying I'm correct. Alright? But I will submit to you the message that I preached earlier this year on January 23rd. It's called, God wants to prosper you. And I deal directly, I confront many of the uh, arguments that are made to tear down what's called the health and wealth gospel. The prosperity gospel. Alright, and so I want you to check out that message if you have that issue. Because look, I already dealt with it. I'm not saying I dealt with it completely. But I'm just saying I dealt with it. And so this message stands on that paradigm of what I taught in that message. In January 23rd. Okay, God wants to prosper you. You want to check that out? You go check that out. Because that will give you, I believe, a more balanced viewpoint. Because what has happened is, a lot of people in the body of Christ, they have overreacted or overcompensated to abuses of the teaching on prosperity. And in doing so, they push it away altogether. As if prosperity is evil. As if prosperity comes from the devil. As if prosperity, you should, you should make apologies for prospering. Anyway, I deal with it in that message. I'm not going to deal with it here. But the Word of God does say in the NIV of Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Come on, make no mistake about it, y'all. God has plans to prosper each and every one of you. You are his child. He's got a plan. Now, a lot of Christians in the spirit-filled world, they think that prosperity and increase is simply a byproduct of blessing or favor or goodness. Like God's favor 
blessing and goodness are the reasons why we experience prosperity. But today, I'm going to give you a totally, completely, completely different paradigm. Today, I'm here to proclaim to you, prosperity is not just a blessing or a privilege. For the people of God, prosperity is an obligation. So catch this, Revelation. Prosperity is an obligation for every child of God on the earth. And I'll prove it through scripture. Prosperity is an obligation, which means you don't have a choice in the matter. You must prosper. It is your responsibility to prosper. The word of God says here, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. You know, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. Lord, prosper me when I evangelize. Oh, that's holy. Prosper me when I lead worship. Oh, that sounds godly. But prosper me in my business. Oh, wait. Uh, man, I don't know. Maybe that's mixing with my selfish ambitions. Maybe that's mixing with wealth. And you start to feel guilty. And you're like, maybe, ah, oh, Lord, Lord, if you want to, if it be your will, bless my business. We're in a recession. Help my business so it doesn't go, go under. You know, that's kind of like our mindset. Because we often think prosperity is only a blessing. Something that we enjoy out of God's goodness. It's a privilege. But I'm here to tell you, it's your responsibility. Busan Church Plant Team, where are you? Raise your hand if you're going to Busan. Okay, we have a meeting today. Make sure you're there. Busan Church Plant Team, Scripture says... In all that you do, you will prosper. That means when you go down to Busan, you have no choice but to succeed. Don't, I don't want to see your face. No, I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm going to go down there. So I'll be joining y'all. But I don't want to hear two years from now. Oh, it's so hard, Pastor Christian. Oh, it's been so hard. No, I don't want to hear that. Okay. As I send you, I expect you guys to prosper. How many of you in here, you're in the business realm? You guys work in the business realm. Anyone here works in the business realm? We have a few business people. All right. Um, people in the marketplace and business, I expect you to prosper. You got no choice in the matter. It is your obligation to increase. It's not about you and your three. It's not about you and your property. Okay. It is about... Sorry. It is your obligation to increase. You know why? Because when you prosper and increase, it includes a lot more people than just you and your family. There's too many wicked people that are prospering in business. And the only reason they prosper is because Christians are forfeiting the high places. We have so compartmentalized our faith that we call the things in the business realm secular. And we call things in the ministry sacred. But in the mind of God, there is no distinction. Everything that is on the earth is His. And we need to learn how to use business resources to be a blessing on the earth. Business people, it is your obligation to prosper. 
Your coworker can't hold you down. Stop making excuses. Your boss can't hold you down. Your mama can't hold you down. Nobody can hold you down. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. When you prosper in your business, that is a manifestation of Christ's reign and rule on the earth. I'll tell you what's not a manifestation of his reign and rule. All right, is when liberal-minded, moralist, unitarians are people that have nothing to do with Christ. When they come into these high places of business. When the, the founder of the Moonies is prospering more than most Christian business CEOs in this country. That's all backwards. We need to stop forfeiting these high places. If you are a Hagwon teacher in here, well, let me get you right now. <laughs> Hagwon teachers, international school teachers. Taiwan, I know it's international school teachers here. <laughs> Y'all get off at 5 o'clock. Check me out. You have an obligation to prosper. If you're making the same amount of money as four years ago, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your perspective. I'm serious. You're going from job to job to job to job, and each time, you just get the same amount of pay. And when you pray for a new job, your prayer is, Lord, I hope I can get the same amount of pay at my last job. With a little bit better housing. If it be your will. Okay, if that's the way you're praying, there's something wrong. You don't have the Bible. Your mindset is not aligned with the Bible of God, with the Word of God. The Bible of God. <laughs> with the Word of God. Your mentality and expectations, they really need to shift and come into alignment with God's Word. In all that you do, you shall prosper. You know, we as educated, Western educated individuals with mostly college degrees. Some of you may not. God bless you. Most of us in here, we have college degrees. We have a greater responsibility than somebody that is born in the slums and does not have access to the resources or relationships to do something about the poverty that that person's in. But even such a person, I believe God expects prosperity from. Even the poor slum kid in the middle of India, whether you have a few dollars in your pocket or you got college degrees all up on your wall, both God looks to to turn a profit. He expects both to prosper. But here's the thing. The weight of responsibility is probably heavier on you than it is on that slum kid. Just imagine with me the parable of the talents. What did the word of God say? In the parable of talents, parable of the minors, everybody got the same amount. But in the parable of the talents, people got different amounts. And the Bible says they got, talents is a, a amount of money. Okay, And we can kind of translate that as like talent and gifting. Okay, and, that, and that's fine. But in the original context, it's talking about money. Everybody got different amounts of money. And the Bible says, according to their ability. So you got a westernized education. 
You may not have a lot of money, but you got more money than most of the world. You may think, I don't know many, many influential people, but oh, they're up and coming all, all around you. And the people that you cross today, they're going to be your boss later. If you, you know, you don't watch yourself. If you don't prosper and they do. Anyway, you're, you're surrounded by incredible people, really. I mean, we don't, I don't think we really recognize just even in this room alone. How many CEOs? How many politicians? How many lawyers? How many chancellors of schools who are going to find and open up new schools? Athletes, maybe? We, I don't, musicians that are going to win American Idol or X Factor? I don't know. I don't think we really realize the potency of the seeds of God's kingdom that are planted in the lives of individuals right here in this room. There are about 65, 70 people in this room. I don't think we really know, we don't really understand how to honor them. But I'm telling you right now, in God's mind, He's expecting all of you to prosper. Right now, America and Europe's economies are hit with a big recession, big debt crisis. The other week, uh, European Union, they asked China to bail them out. The IMF is getting involved, but that's not enough. You know, and if they don't get bailed out, America's economy is going to crash. You know that, right? Okay, let me tell you right now. I went to business school. Okay, I wasn't good at uh, my economics class, but I picked up a thing or two. Okay, because we're in a global economy now, there are certain relationships that are more pivotal than others. America's relationship with Europe, huge. Right now, they're going through a debt crisis. And a lot of people are thinking, oh no, we're in an economic recession. This is not the time for me to make an investment. Now is not a good time for me to make a business venture. Since the economy is not prospering, I cannot prosper. That's what a lot of people are thinking. And the funny thing is, because that's their attitude, it makes the situation worse. Because all the companies are hoarding their cash. They stop hiring new jobs. People don't go spend on their Christmas gifts. It makes everything worse. And here's the thing. I don't blame the world for thinking that way. But when the people of God start thinking the same way, I have a problem. I can't prosper because the economy is not prospering. That's a lie of the enemy. That is a lie. Let me share with you a story. Turn to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. Read verse 1. Look at it with me in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land. Get your head around that. There's a famine. People are starving to death. Crops are not growing. Irrigation is bad. People are dying left and right. There's a famine in the land. All right. Famine is far worse than just a recession, by the way. Okay. And then fast forward to verse 12. By the way, this is at the same time in the same year. And Isaac, verse 12. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. 
get a picture of the church out of this passage right here. You can disagree. But I'm just saying, man, I think this is a prophetic picture of the church. Isaac is a prophetic picture of the church here. In the land, there was famine. But in the same year, Isaac sold. That means he invested in the stock market while there's a major recession. That means he went and invested $5 million into a business venture in the time of a recession. And the Bible says he sold and he reaped a hundredfold in the same year. And then the New King James, let me read to you the New King James. This is inspirational. It says, verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. Oh, come on. I mean, I like that way better than the ESV right there. You know, ESV, there's a conspiracy. You know that, right? The interpreters who translated this Bible, they did everything possible to get the word prosper out of the, uh, out of the Bible. But you didn't know that. You, you, you compare passages with the NIV, NASB, New King James. Anyway, just telling you what's there. All right. We can't be afraid of that word. It is not an evil swear word. And the funny thing with Isaac is, he wasn't even blameless. Because the very passage right before verse 12, well, guess what he does? He lies about his wife. He's not even blameless. But because he is chosen by God, by the very nature of who he is in God, he prospered. And we have to understand that that is our nature. That is our identity. The Bible says when the plagues hit Egypt, it did not touch Goshen. God sends a plague of flies, gnats, all these flies. I mean, in the summertime here in Korea, sometimes, man, the flies can get crazy. They're just like everywhere. Mosquitoes, you know, all them kind crazy nasty imagine just swarms of it all over egypt hail we're not just talking like little pieces but like grapefruit probably sized hail that like that hits your cows in the head and kill them and then little dogs try to eat eat or a little i don't know little dogs but vultures try to come and they got killed by the hail i mean they were talking about massive plagues of crazy locusts hail frogs frogs can you imagine frogs coming in the millions and then they die shortly thereafter? And the Bible says the stench of those frogs filled the entire country except in one place. Somebody say Goshen. You know what Goshen was? That was the area in which the Hebrews lived. They were the chosen people of God, the Israelites. And just as the plagues did not touch Goshen, the recession does not have to touch you. It only touches if you let it. And even if it does affect you, it's only temporary. If you, if you want to put up a tent and camp out there, be my guest. Okay? But I'm not like you. 
If that recession starts to touch me and starts to affect me, I'm going to be like, you know what? This is recession. That's prosperity. I'm out. I'm walking right out of this. This is temporary. But most people, man, they go, oh, no, recession hit. Oh, let me set up my tent and let me grumble before God. Let me worry about all my finances, worry about all my family members. They get beat down by the enemy. God's trying to take you to the promised land and you want to stay in Egypt. You want to stay in the land of devastation. The land that just got all these frogs that are dead. Hail everywhere. I don't know. Locusts everywhere. I don't know. It must have been messy. Ten plagues jacked up Egypt. But didn't touch Goshen. It did not touch God's people. When we are in a recession, this is our time, church, to shine. When everyone else is hoarding and taking back, we need to sow in. We need to be like Isaac and sow in the same year, expecting a hundredfold harvest. Think about it. Anybody can prosper when the economy is doing well. But only the people of God can prosper when there's a recession, when there's an earthquake, when there's a drought, when there's a famine. That's the very definition of holy. You know that, right? You know, holy is not just moral purity. Now, I was joking at Hillside. You know, most people think, oh, oh uh, here's a drink. Oh, I don't drink. Oh, you, you don't drink? Oh, you must be holy. You know? Hey, let's go clubbing. Oh, I, don't, I don't do clubbing. Okay. Holy man of God. You know, we think holy in that sense. But let me de- de- define for you what holy really means. It means set apart. It means other. If we're fearing the same things the world fears, how is the world able to distinguish us from the rest of them? When the world hoards their wealth, we hoard our wealth. You see, we are a holy people. We're set apart. We need to boldly make investments. Prophetic revelation comes. God says, invest in Amazon. I don't know. I said, what? Amazon's doing terribly right now, Lord. Invest in Amazon. And you go and you, you know, you give me... One million shares of Amazon stock. And people are like, ah, you crazy, man. <laughs> One week later, they're like, what happened? Amazon just went up 50%. How'd you know that? Well, you know, I serve a mighty God. And my God, he speaks to me. I don't know if you believe in that. Let me tell you a little bit about my God. You want to hear about my God? God's like, is God going to help me with my investments? Yeah, tell me. I want to hear all about it. Okay, I don't know if that, ideally that happens all the time. But look, it makes an unbelieving world inquire of what you got. They inquire of why are you so separate? Why are you so unique? People of God, we have an obligation to prosper. 
why why is prosperity an obligation not just a blessing and a privilege we get to enjoy on the earth why is it an obligation let me let me let me argue for this um number one i think prosperity is an obligation because you're created i mean you are i'm sorry you are connected to the creator of the universe that's why uh, prosperity is an obligation the creator of the universe is the most creative person that I know of. And the last time I checked, the Bible says the creator of the universe has his favor upon you. And not only that, he has put his spirit in you. The creator of the universe that never runs out of ideas. That, that knows about new markets, about iPads and iPhones way before they even come out. The God who created the universe. His spirit lives inside of you. And so check this out. That means that we have access to creativity, fresh ideas, precision, timing. We can get revelation of new markets before they even open up. Did I share with you guys about George Washington Carver? Do you guys know that George Washington Carver... He made all these inventions. One of the things he used is peanuts. You know why did he use peanuts? Because peanuts were in abundance. But there was um other crop at that time that was that was um I think it was potatoes or something like that. It was wiped out. So the US the US government was very, very concerned. George Washington Carver took peanuts and he found like I don't know, like three hundred uses for peanuts. Like for clothing companies to be able to dye your clothes the certain color they, they could dye it without it washing out, peanuts. Do you guys know that? You are wearing peanuts. <laughs> Peanut butter. George Washington Carver all the way. It wasn't Jif. It wasn't Skippy. It was George Washington Carver. What did George Washington Carver do? He effectively took a useless snack and created incredible inventions that helped millions of people and continues to bless us today. That's a picture of the kingdom right there. You know, in 1 John 2.27 says, the anointing teaches you about everything. The anointing could teach you about philosophy. The anointing could teach you about sports. The anointing can teach you about singing, about writing, about theology, but also it can teach you about botany. Or cooking. You know, you know, I, my cousin works for a Iron Chef, right? This guy, man, he, he opened up this restaurant called Morimoto in Philadelphia a few years ago. And this, this, this restaurant quickly became the number one hip place to go and eat for all the celebrities and politicians. Morimoto did so well, they opened up a New York City branch. Not only that, they did so well, they went to Hawaii. Right now, my cousin, he just opened up a Mexico City. Man, people get shot in Mexico over drugs. But Iron Chef is like, no, we're going to Mexico City. We need to give these Mexico, Mexicans, we need to give them, we need to give them some fusion, some of my Japanese fusion food. Man, we, we, my cousin hooked us up at the New York City restaurant, man. It was, it was delicious. We must have gotten like $700 worth of food, you know. All for free. 
Because, you know, my cousin's just like, good evening, guys. Come on in. Can I show you to your seats? And I was like, man, cousin. <laughs> somebody. Come on, man. He's like, he's like, just chill. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Sat us down. He's mad slick, too. He was, just, he was like, all right, don't worry about it. I'm going to bring out all these appetizers. Nobody eats main, main entrees here. It's all about the appetizers. So I was like, all right. So he brought out all these appetizers. It's crazy. Anyway, I mean, uh, why am I talking about them? Uh, God's anointing can teach you about cooking. A lot of people think cooking, you know, some people just live, they eat to live. But when you get the anointing on you for cooking, you live to eat. You realize that, man, there is an enormous amount of creativity and diversity in cooking alone. And, and, and this Japanese guy named Iron, this Iron Chef, he, he was able to tap into that. But here's the thing. You don't need the Iron Chef. You just need the anointing. Whatever God's called you to do, he gives you anointing to do it. And it's not like a, like a itty-bitty anointing. Like, ah, uh, here, there you go. Here's a few tips. It's an anointing that teaches you everything about the position and calling he's given you. Here's the thing about God's calling. He doesn't call you and then say, all right, I send you out. Go and do my will. And you go and you got to, oh man, how do I do this? And you got to figure it all out and research all yourself. Nah. A lot of Christians, they do that. They get the call of God and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And God says, all right, I'm going to send you. And they're like, here I go, Lord. I'm gone. The Lord's like, where are you going? I'm going to be with you. No, no, Lord, I want to go and accomplish all the things that you asked and put upon my heart. I'm going to go and do it. And God's like, nah, you need my anointing. You want to do what you do, you need me. You need my spirit. You need to be filled with the spirit. You know, up all up on here on our church, we pray for people. They get slain in the spirit. They start shaking on the ground. You know, even at the Emmaus retreat, you know, students that, that are very closed to anything supernatural. You know, they came and last night, poof, they're flying all over the place. <laughs> Literally, they flew. Nobody touched them. They flew because the Holy Spirit whack them. And then we're like, whoa, that's not the God that I know. Well, maybe you don't know God all that well yet. Maybe you don't know everything there is to know about God. Last time I checked the Bible, God's supernatural God. Last time I checked the scriptures, it says he's the same yesterday to him forever, today and forever. He's still supernatural. He still speaks and he still acts with great power for physical healings, miracles, supernatural signs and wonders. But you know, all them supernatural signs and wonders, people will think, oh yeah, it's to feel good and feel strong so I can be, um, have better quiet times. Oh, Pastor Christian, I had great quiet times this past week. Thank you for praying for me. A fire of the Holy Spirit came. Nah. Nah, that's not, that's not the bottom line, by the way. When you get the power of the Holy Spirit in that way, that anointing comes upon you for a purpose. It's connected to your call. And when you learn to not just get the anointing, but you walk in the anointing, because there's a difference. When you learn to walk in the anointing, the scripture says the anointing will teach you all things. It teaches you everything. Everything about anything. 
So you're, you're thinking, oh, I'll never become like a Steve Jobs or Martha Stewart. You know, I'll never become like one of these successful people. And that's a lie of the enemy. In the spirit, you have no lack. Do you understand that? The Bible says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's our current position. It's not a future position. It's our current position. But you need faith in the identity that that implies for you to access that kind of authority and resource. For you to access that kind of boldness. But you have to understand you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's a position of authority. That's a position of victory. So even though it takes some time, you need to be patient and persistent and passionate about the call of God on your life. The anointing teaches you about everything. Uh, the word of God says in Haggai 2.9, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the first. What does that tell me? Prosperity is an obligation. At the, at the last days, I noticed in my seminary, it's a popular evangelical belief to believe that the best days are behind us. They're all up in here. Oh, the good old days. Back then when the apostles used to do miracles and the churches, they used to bring all the proceeds of their property and bring it to the apostles' feet. And if they lie about it, they die. The good old days, they're all in the Bible. They're behind us. Oh, man, we just got to hold on till Jesus comes back. We just got to hold on. <laughs> Hold on! That's why I'm not a, a pre-trip, a pre-millennial. Pre-millennialists that are pre-trip, you know, Left Behind series, all them people. They just started, hold on! Jesus is going to rapture you. Jesus is going to rapture you. And then the tribulation is going to hit. You're going to be saved from the tribulation. Okay, you can choose to believe that. But if your theology is coming out of Left Behind books rather than the Bible... You should, check, you should check your theology first. And if you're wrong, you're in for a lot of tribulation that your, your heart was not ready for. You know, me, I'm going to be like, hey, man, I expected this. <laughs> what do I do? Man, get off me, man. <laughs> She's been ready. And they always say, we should have all been ready. Anyway, there was a 70s song where... This rock group, uh, they, they, there's, a, there's a movie called Thief in the Night, and they start off the movie with, <laughs> we should have all been ready. Anyway, um, <laughs> talk about readiness, man. You gotta, I think the poster people are more ready than the preacher people. Anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Um, the Word of God also says in Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. If you really, if you really, Use that word as a prophetic picture of what the church is going to go through in these end times. That means there's going to be increase of God's glory on the earth before Christ returns. Not a decrease. Now, mind you, the increase of warfare will also get harder and harder. But the glory on God's people is going to get greater and greater. Christ is coming back for a victorious church. A blameless one, a spotless one, a bride without spot or blemish. He's not coming back for a church that's just holding on. Or a bride that's sleeping on the job. And thinking, Lord, I thought you wanted us just to live modest lives, mediocre lives, humble lives. And Jesus, you know what he'll say to you? 
Check out the parable of talents. You wicked and lazy servant. What have you done with the talents that I've given you? Oh, I know where it is, Jesus. I think it's over here somewhere. Oh, Jesus, here it is. Remember what you gave me? Right here. Okay. It's not a good picture of what the master does does with the servants there. I don't know if it's implying hell. I don't think it is because I'm a Calvinist, as you guys know. Right? But it does beg the question of, what is the master's attitude and expectation in that parable? And his clear expectation is he expects a profit. He expects a return from what he's given you. He wants you to steward what he's given you. And stewarding it means not a decrease, but an increase of what was originally sown. 30, 60, 100 fold. That is what God is looking for in your life. It is essential that the people of God, they prosper. But there are three things that can block you from prospering. As a Christian, three things that can block you from prospering. Number one, real easy, sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. Well, there you go. Real clear. Are you living in sin? Are there sin patterns that you refuse to let go of? Well, the Bible says, whoever conceals his transgressions, they will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Sin will block you from the blessing of God. Sin will block you from increase. Deuteronomy 29.9 also says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Oh, there's that word all again. Well, Jesus, I thought you just want us to prosper in the ministry, prosper in evangelism, prosper in small group ministry, prosper in worship ministry. No, it says, keep the words of this covenant that you may prosper in all that you do. Art, knitting. I mean, I'm, I'm serious right now. Project Runway. Check out Project Runway, man. That is amazing the kind of gifts people have. And you know, you know, you guys know where I stand with um, homosexuality, right? Okay, we minister to homosexuals here in New Philly, and we still do. Okay, we don't condemn them. We believe we love them back to life, and we don't identify with their identity that this is the way I was born. Sorry, Lady Gaga, they are not born this way. If you usually, if you investigate their history, a lot of them, actually it's statistically proven through research. Over 90% of homosexuals, the people that live in the homosexual lifestyle, they were sexually abused as children. And when I see Project One Way, man, I see all these men, they have amazing gifts. But like 95% of those men, they're either accused of being gay or they are gay or they identify themselves as gay. You know what's really going on? I, b- I believe a lot of those men, they're, they're, they belong in the church. They belong in Christ. But the church has turned them away and rejected them and made them feel so alienated. 
the only place they can find the community is in the gay community. And the only people that will celebrate their fashion gifts are the gay community. You know, you come up into a church of like religious macho man kind of environment with only male leaders up on the pulpit, right? You go into a place and, and say, you know, I'm really good at fashion. I like knitting. I like designing women's clothes. They be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> so and so it's, it's sad, man. I think a lot of those people, man, if I was on Project One Way and I was Tim Gunn, Man, I will give, I will not give us good tips because Tim is amazing. He has these amazing tips that he gives to the, to the fashion designers. But on the side, man, I will be praying with them. I'll be counseling them, getting them healed, saved, delivered. By the end of the show, you know? Anyway, I mean, that's just my theory. I'm sorry I went off on that tangent. That's just my theory. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe a lot of those men, they just need to be shepherded. And, and uh, they've been rejected by a false identity of what manhood is. It's definitely not the one that the, t- the church tries to, pro- uh, tries to paint. Real men, they can design fashion. It doesn't, doesn't take away your manhood. In fact, some of the best designers in the world are men, by the way. Tommy Hilfiger. Calvin Klein. <laughs> Ralph Lauren. Come on, man. There's all men. Mark Jacobs. Man, you guys are like luxury items right there. Duty free over there. (laughs) Sin will jack up your prosperity. Another thing that will jack up your prosperity is when you don't inquire of God's voice. Jeremiah 10.21 says, For the shepherds are stupid. And do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and their flock is scattered. Man, that is such a searing, like a burning indictment upon the spiritual leaders of that time. But you know what? That prophetic word, I believe, is alive for today. So many pastors that could probably be indicted with this same verse. The reason why your ministry does not prosper, the reason why your sheep are scattered is because you don't inquire of the Lord. You are stupid. You know, in Hebrew history, in Jewish history, the stupidest leaders in Israel's history, they were all the leaders that did not inquire of the Lord. All the other prosperous leaders, they always inquired of the Lord. Before they went into battle, they inquire of the Lord. Find me a prophet that I might inquire of him. That I might inquire of the Lord. Should I, should we become, come into alliance with this other foreign group? They inquire of the Lord. The Lord says, no, I've destined them for judgment. You go in and you annihilate that city. And by the way, that's God. Read your Old Testament. Oh, that's heavy stuff right there. <laughs> but that's God. That's God. Another thing that would jack you up from prospering is not inquiring of the Lord. Man, but for the major things, I don't play around. I make sure I inquire of the Lord before I make that decision. And any hasty decisions, that's my bad. But the ones that have prospered, oh, I know that was the Lord.
us calling the church New Philly? A lot of people, you know, over at, at Torch Seminary, you know, they go, oh, so where'd you grow up? In the South? I'm like, no, I didn't grow up in the South. Well, you have a Southern accent. It's just, it's just called like a ghetto accent. It's an Ebonics accent. But uh, yeah, I guess a lot of my black friends did grow up in like the South. So maybe I picked it up. I don't know. Where are you from then? I'm from Philly. Oh. So that's why you call your church New Philly. And I get that all the time. And you know, that's a funny conversation I have with God. Because when I was about to name the church New Philly, it used to be called JSCM. See, none of y'all, they don't, you don't know that. Right? Unless you took our membership class. Right? But anyway, when I was about to call, call it New Philly, I had a funny conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, if I call this New Philly, People are going to think I'm egotistical. People are going to think I named it after my hometown. And I heard the Lord laughing. He said, I know. I said, no, Lord, how about new life, new open doors, uh, uh, new, uh, God said, nope, you Philly. All right, man, I inquired of the Lord before I made some certain major decisions. That's what you guys need to do as well. If you go on ahead, you use your zeal, but your zeal is not based on revelation or knowledge, you're going to stumble along the way. You're going to wonder where you went wrong. All right, at every major turning point, you want to inquire of the Lord. And third thing that will block you from prospering is your lack of faith. A lot of times it's not a lack of faith. It's a wrong placement of faith. When you're worried more about the recession than you are about having faith that God could prosper you in it, you're putting more faith in the devil's deception and lies than you are in his word and in his promise. It's a lack of faith. And I... I, 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 and as I preach this message, I want there to be a shift in each and every one of your minds. Don't just hear the word. Be doers of the word. Take this word, and if you're in agreement with it, take this word and live it. Chew on it. Like, like a biscuit. Chew it. Swallow it. Digest it. And then let it nourish you. And if there's any things that don't have anything to do with anything, get rid of it. See, I was very unoffensive just now. Thank you. All right. So what does prosperity look like? Let me just describe to you what prosperity looks like. A lot of people are thinking prosperity, money, prosperity, money, prosperity, money. That's all you hear. Every time I say prosperity, money. Get your mind out of your bank account. It's not all about money. But can I say, prosperity does include money. And you will be a fool to try to define prosperity otherwise. Okay, when Isaac had all this increase, all right, it says he became rich. He became very wealthy in the ESV. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. That's a picture of wealth. He had like an army of butlers. 
you know, like cattle and flocks. That's like the equivalent of Mercedes and Benzes. Mercedes, uh, Mercedes, Benzes, and Beamers. That's what I meant. Flocks and herds. That's the equivalent today. Look at my flocks and herds, y'all. Boom. Garage opens up. <laughs> Welcome to my crib. Okay. I mean, prosperity does involve, involve wealth and riches. But let me, let me also show you some other aspects of prosperity we don't really think about. Uh, relationships. You know, God gives you relationships in your life. And you're like, no, no, no. No, those people are from the devil. No, God didn't send them. No, God sent them. God sent them. You might call them a thorn in the flesh. But even the thorn in the flesh was from the God, from the Lord. The Lord allowed that thorn in the flesh. Anyway, some people, you know, not everybody's a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's a lot of people around you. And here's the thing. God gives you an obligation to prosper in your relationships. He wants your friendships to get deeper and richer and full of intimacy and trust. Trust is the most neglected commodity in the world today. Whether it's in business or government or even in the church. Trust is oftentimes a missing commodity. Causes all kinds of stress, conspiracy theories, suspicions, anxiety. All because we don't have trust. But I'm telling you, we can't be like the world. We can't be like the world. We're the church. In this house, in the church, there is true love. People that know the word of God, they're obeying the word of God, that are filled with the spirit of God, led by the spirit of God, those people, you can trust them. But let's say a spirit-filled person betrays you, disappoints you. The answer is not to stop trusting. You just got to be discerning. You got just got to be more sharp in your discernment, but you got to keep trusting. When you, when you come to the end of your life, God's going to be like, all right, what'd you do with your relationships? And you're going to be like, Lord, I tried, but they were really annoying. God's going to be like, what are you talking about? You mean you have not prospered in any of your relationships? Show me your trust and intimacy with the people on the earth that you, you had. Uh, Lord, um, I'm sorry. I, I, it was just really hard. God's going to be like, what are you talking about? No, I expected you to prosper in your relationships. But this is relationships, rich relationships. They are an aspect of prosperity that we cannot neglect. And just like money, it requires an investment of money. Birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, time, even when you're busy, on the phone, on the Facebook, it requires an investment. But if you're not doing any investment, you're like a guy on, stock, on the stock exchange has made zero investment and is yelling at everybody. How come I, my stocks don't do well? Well, brother, you, you, don't, you, don't, you haven't invested in anything. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> How come I'm not prospering? Right, that's, that's a picture of a person 
who expects friends to treat them right, but they can't invest in the friendships. They're expecting intimacy. How come you didn't come to my birthday party? Because when did we become best friends? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, let me tell you, man. As a pastor, I, I struggle with this, right? As a pastor, I can't invite everybody to my birthday party every year. Right? I'm, I want to be best friends with everybody. No, that's a lie. I can't say that. <laughs> I love all of you as sons and daughters of the house. But there's only one of me. And 240 of you. There's no way I can have a, a consistent friendship with everybody. I can't be everybody's BFF. I'm not Paris Hilton. All right. So every year, what do I do? I choose who comes to my birthday dinner. Why? Because there is no restaurant that can accommodate the whole church. And that, you know what people do? If I post up pictures, sometimes I gotta, I gotta like limit the pictures to like just the people that were there. But people, people, sometimes I post up pictures, they're like, how come, um, I wasn't at your birthday dinner? And I'm like, why are you asking me such an awkward question? <laughs> Figure it out, alright? If I invite you, it's cause I couldn't, I didn't want you there. It's not that I didn't want you there, but you know, I had to choose who is there, and you are one of them. And when did I become your best friend? You know? You don't, you don't do anything to invest in this friendship here. I know I'm your pastor, but friendship-wise, you haven't invested nothing in this. So how are you going to expect a return? That's like going into some dirt field and going and being like, Why are there no trees? Hey, it's 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 because you got you got to plant seeds first. You know, it's like getting upset over something. It don't make no sense. Uh, let, me, let me go on. Another picture is politics. If you prosper in politics, guess what it looks like? That means you don't play politics, but you still succeed. You don't you don't lie. You don't cheat. If you have a if you have a dark past. You tell the media about it up front, and it's part of your testimony, not as something that they, you know, because they're going to find out, by the way. The little bit of weed you did, they're going to find out. Okay? Um, politics is doing it the right way, and yet prospering, and then getting elected. And then being in a position like that, and still continuing to do it God's way, bringing Christian values, stamping out corruption, Passing just laws, protecting and setting free the oppressed. That's what a politic, that's what it looks like to prosper in politics. How many Christians do you know that do that? What a shame. Here's Christian, here's the common Christian logic. Politics is so dirty, so immoral, so ungodly. So church, let's just go over here and not vote. Oh, wow. Like, that does something. <laughs> Thanks, church. You guys are really changing our society. <laughs> Come on. We got to send our best and brightest there. That's what I'm saying. Or, or in sports, what it means to prosper in sports. 
It means you don't take bribes as a college uh, athlete. You don't sleep around with all the cheerleaders. You, why y'all laughing? Were y'all cheerleaders at one point? Come clean about your testimony. The church will find out. We're like the media. We will find out everything. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We, we, will, we will never, never air it out. Unless you want to in a testimony. Then that's not really airing it out. That's your airing testimony. You don't lie about You do your studies. You honor your parents. You're not shady about your decision about which college you're going to go to. And then when you're in college, you're about to graduate. You do everything in an honorable way. Then you graduate college and you go to the pros. I'm talking about Tim Tebow. <laughs> okay, Tim Tebow has a, has a very uh, blameless type of testimony. He's not perfect. But he, you know, there is a Facebook page called I Hate Tim Tebow. I don't know of any NFL athlete other than maybe T.O. or something, right? Where people, or Michael Vick, you know, where people hate the athlete with that passion. And NFL did all these articles this past week because Tim Tebow started for the Broncos for the first time. And he, and he had this huge, crazy comeback. Amazing comeback. And so everyone's like talking about Tim Tebow all week. And they investigated and they found out all these hate, hate, uh, mess, uh, Facebook pages. They're like, why do people hate Tim Tebow so much? And secular writers were able to identify it's because of his faith. Because this guy takes a stand for his faith. And it's not the popular opinion. And when it involves God, it just seems like when you're outspoken about God in the NFL or in any public medium, the haters come out the house. But yeah, I mean, Tim Tebow. I mean, I, I hope he continues to, to walk the narrow road. Because broad is the one that leads to destruction. Many take it. You know? But Michael Vick, come on. Michael Vick, he's got a dark past. Dog fighting. I mean, I mean, the PETA, the uh, people's, uh, what does the PETA stand for? I forget. People for the ethical treatment of animals, right? People for the ethical treatment of animals and the unethical treatment of humans. Anyway, uh, uh, anyway I'm, I'm just kidding. I love, I love animals. Uh, but anyway, PETA hates Michael Vick and so does like one third of the country. One third of the country uh, doesn't, doesn't, they're really apathetic about it. One third of the country hates Michael Vick. One third of the country loves Michael Vick. Why? Because America's filled with sinners. And they can relate to his testimony. But all those people that have hidden sins, they all want to be pharisaic about it. And just say, why should we give this dog killer a second chance? But I'm telling you right now, Michael Vick is the gospel with two legs. In the NFL, he is the living gospel. And I'm telling you right now, some of those defensive players, they intentionally try to harm him. They try to injure him. But anyway, when you, you, you can prosper in sports. I'm, I'm sorry I brought up Michael Vick. I always bring up Michael Vick. Uh, philosophers, entrepreneurs, when you prosper in philosophy... You release wisdoms that this world does not know. Did you know that uh, the three main guys in the Enlightenment, which is called, also called the Rationalist Option, and after the Reformation, after all the years of killing between Catholics and Protestants, uh, 
philosophers rose up. Three main ones were Descartes, Spinoza, and Leibniz. I hope I'm saying that right. With the exception of Spinoza, Descartes and Leibniz were strong Christians. Leibniz, I did research on him this past week. He invented the first mechanical calculator. He invited, he invented theories of calculus. I mean, I can't even understand calculus half the time. He invented it. He also, he also, um, made advancements in philosophy. And he's known to, uh, advance an idea called optimism. Leibniz's basic belief was that God acts out of his goodness. That God acts for good. Major philosopher that turned the world upside down. He was a strong Christian. Pascal was also a Christian. I believe he was a Calvinist from my reading of church history. Strong, strong Christian. And that's the way it should be. But you know what? Today's scholars and philosophy, it is reigned and ruled by liberals. You know what I have to do in my seminary class? I have to write essays on chapters that I read, and the chapters are about this thing called the Jesus Seminar. That's one of the liberal arms of uh, theology right now, right? The Jesus Seminar believes that through their theories, they can distinguish what is undisputably the words of Jesus, what is probably not the words of Jesus, and what is definitely not the words of Jesus. So they go through the whole gospel, and they take the gospel of John, and they just throw it out. They say the gospel of John has no words of Jesus in it. And they go through the gospel of Matthew, and they're like, 60% of this is junk. This has nothing to do with what Jesus actually said. You know, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, where do these guys get off? Who do they think they are wasting my time making me read this long chapter? And I have to write about it. Right? And, 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 but you know, my professor makes a good point. We can't ignore them. We should deal with them. Truth has no fear of examination. So, you know, we, we need to deal with it and tackle it. But you know what? They have such an influence because America's turned so postmodern. They're jacking people's Christianity up. It has nothing to do with what I believe to be true. They just came up with all these theories. And if Christians would only take their place, those guys would never have gotten all that influence. My professor met some of them. He said they're the nicest guys in the world. But when you read their stuff, you realize maybe they're not even Christian. Brothers and sisters, the church, we need to prosper and take our place. We need to learn how to take, stop forfeiting the high places of government, entertainment, the arts, sports, politics, business, education. We need to stop forfeiting these high places and start taking our place. And we need to understand prosperity is not just a privilege. It is an obligation that God puts upon each and every one of us. Ten years from now, ten years from now, I want to see each and every one of you prospering. If ten years from now, all that's different is that you got married and have a couple kids, 
but you have done nothing else with your life. I've given you 10 years worth of teachings and you've done nothing with your inheritance. You just squander it in video games. I will feel as a pastor very sad but very upset as well. I will feel like I haven't done my part if that's the way you guys are living. Close your eyes for a second. Get a picture of this. Close your eyes and get a picture of this. According to your ability, God has given each and every one of you talents. Whether that's in the form of finances, relationships, education, giftings, abilities. God has given each and every one of you talents. At the end of your life, God will come to you and he will ask you. What have you done with the talents that I entrusted to you? And if your answer does not bring a smile to God's face, it's probably because you buried that talent and did nothing with it. God will still love you. He'll still accept you into his kingdom. But it will not, your, your memory of earth won't be erased. The memory of how you lived your life will not have been erased. All of the potential of what you could have done, you will remember. And there will be real regrets. And the day that's supposed to be one of the greatest joy will be tainted with that kind of regret if you don't live your life well. You have a limit in the amount of days on the earth. You know that? They're numbered. The Lord's, the Bible says that your days are numbered. With the whatever amount of days you have left on the earth, God expects you to prosper. He expects increase. He expects fruitfulness. He expects maturity. He expects leadership. He expects you to become a CEO. He expects you to start new businesses. He expects you to create thousands of jobs for an economy that's about to go under. He expects you to take government positions and pass laws so that little Chinese boys on the streets of, uh, of China, uh, all the cities of China, they're no longer being maimed by gangsters and being forced to beg on the streets. So little girls, 13, 14 years old, are not sold as sex slaves in Thailand or in Cambodia. God expects His people to prosper. And He's given you access to everything you need so that you can prosper. We have no excuse, brothers and sisters. As each one of us does our part, we can truly turn the world upside down.
at this hour with the economic crisis the leadership of Asia they're looking for leaders to rise up I believe a lot of people in here you have a pivotal role to play in that with the European Union asking China to bail them out in 10 years China, Hong Kong Singapore these are going to be the countries that have the greatest economies the greatest wealth the greatest leverage greatest influence for making decisions but the problem is these countries they don't have good leadership yet they don't have sound leadership they don't have check out China's political system is full of corruption its business system is on its knees asking and begging people like Jason Ma to send a hundred thousand college graduates that are Christians to come and live in Shanghai to live in Beijing and help the leadership of these businesses that are so full of corruption we need Christian values China says that's real news I'm, I'm sharing with you right now but here's the thing they're gonna need more leaders more leaders but in 10 years the question is who's gonna be in position to take up that leadership and I believe out of New Philly there will be key people that will be ready to take on that challenge that will be solutions to the reunification of Korea not just complaining about the problems Father, I just pray for each and every person in this room. May they be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that they do, may they prosper, God. And we believe that God is not dependent on our bosses and not dependent upon our high-one jobs. We will prosper. And God, we want to be faithful to give to you a good return one that will bless your name one that will glorify and bring great joy to you God so Father continue to fill us with your spirit it's not just about having nice quiet times but it's about being solutions to the problems that we see around the world it's about bringing the reign and rule of Christ into darkness and it's also about Lord adding more and more of the loss and bringing them back home but father lord use us fill us with your spirit that we may prosper in the place that you've assigned us it's in christ's name we pray amen let's close with this time of praise